0: Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: The first guest of the evening is truly
0: a poet. He's an artist. He is a friend and an inspiration to anyone who I think who has ever played the
1: guitar or tried to write poetry. Would you please welcome Gordon Lightfoot. Is
0: there anyone home in this house made of stone? Anyone inside know my name? I've been around for a half of a hundred days, never saw a door shut so tight. Turn around, don't look down, there's a man behind you with a gun. This is Carefree Highway Revisited, the show that celebrates Gordon Lightfoot's music song by song, a proud member of the That's Not Canon podcast network. I'm your host, Mike Messner, and with me today is a fellow Lightfoot fan making his second appearance on the show, Jeff Coast. Jeff, welcome back to Carefree Highway Revisited.
1: Well, thank you for having me again, Mike. It's great to be back on the show.
0: So today we're talking about Is There Anyone Home, which is from the Sundown album. Why did you want to talk about it today and why do you like it as a Lightfoot song?
1: There's a couple things. One was, again, this goes back to me and my dad because, you know, he was the one that uh, introduced me to Gordon Lightfoot. And I remember it was around 2005 or six. the first song, of course, I know I first heard was the record of the Evan Fitzgerald, but he was digging through his cassette boxes in our basement one day, and he had a pickup truck pick that still had a cassette player in it. And he pulls out this mixtape he made around the cover. It said, Gordon Lightfoot, Endless Wire. While on the flip side was half of the Sundown album. It only got to about Carefree highway when it cut off on the verse. Searching through the fragments of my dream shattered sleep then uh, the song.
0: You got about two thirds of the song and then it cut out. What a terrible yeah. place for it to leave, though, to run out of space.
1: Oh, yeah. You know what? It's funny. Every time I listen to Carefree Highway now, that memory comes back. I'm waiting for the cutoff, but thank God it never comes. The song completes now. <laughs> All right. Well,
0: that's good. So Sundown was on the flip side of this mixtape, and so that's how yeah. you first got exposed to it. What yeah. makes you like the
1: song? Well, the thing is about it was that it's got this really great melody. It catches you. You know, it's got that samba beat going on through it. And when it starts up with the bass line, I think it's probably... John Stock, which I think might be playing. I'm not sure if it's either him or Rick, but it starts off with that. And I think Gordon's nice, chiming 12-string, the, the Moog synthesizer. And it's just this, the music catches your attention. And then when Gordon starts singing, like he does with a lot of his songs, it's just like, okay, I gotta, I gotta listen to this one. It's just the structure of the song, lyrically and melodically, it's just, it's very catchy. It can definitely get into your head. And it's a heck of a great song to play on, on the guitar too.
0: No, that makes perfect sense. I think to me, We'll talk more about the musical aspects of it a little bit later. It's a kind of a meandering song, very mysterious. He's never spoken about it directly. We'll talk about that in a second. And the other thing I noticed, it's written more or less in blank verse, which is not usually a popular form. I mean, if you look at the popular music of the last 50 or 60 years, there's hardly any songs that have been hits that were written in blank verse with no particular rhyming scheme, and this one doesn't have one in matter of fact, I think it more of a stream of consciousness song more than anything else. Do you have any anecdotal stories about the song, apart from your dad and the pickup truck?
1: Other than that is I remember him always telling me just one last thing about him was it was one of his favorite Lightwood songs that he hadn't heard until he played the mixtape in years, and every time that I still we we travel together sometimes. It's always come down on my Spotify. Well, I always make sure to play it for him. He just, he loves it, everything about it. Other than the personal connection with it, it's just, it's a song that I've recently got into playing on my twelve string guitar. It's a nice mysterious song too, playing and singing. It's just one of those great songs. That's pretty about the closest I could think of, but it's just a great song.
0: Now, you mentioned the pickup truck and the cassette, and I don't know yeah. if either of those are still around, but... Is there a particular time, place, time of day, something like that where you really love to listen to the song, or could you listen to it at any time under any circumstances?
1: Anytime, any circumstances. It comes in my playlist quite a bit when I'm driving. And even at home, so I just let it play. Any time of day, it's a it's one of those songs that's just good for any of it.
0: Yeah. That's also true for me. I mean, when I listen to this, I'm thinking I could listen to this anywhere. It doesn't have to be a specific time of day, a specific place, a specific activity that I'm doing. You know, I could really listen to it at any time. Now, we've talked about the mysteriousness of the song, and we've talked about the idea that Lightfoot really hasn't said much about it. It's not mentioned in Jennings' book at all. It's not mentioned in the documentary. So I'm not really sure what his inspiration was, either musically or, or uh, lyrically.
1: Do you have an angle on how and why the song got written? I only have one thing, and it's he makes a brief mention of it in the liner notes of the songbook collection. I mean, believe it or not, he talks about it in the description of Now and Then from Cold on the Shoulder, which came the next year. And I think he was, as he puts it, it was a very ethereal song. And I think the connection he was making was they both have a samba feel. I've always thought when reading that from his quote on that, that maybe the two songs are connected in some way because they both do mention about a house, two different situations. but. I I find that to be a nice connection, but yeah, other than that little anecdote he made about it himself, that song has like had scant mention anywhere. crazy, and
0: it's an album track. We'll talk about the placement that is it was never released as a single. We'll talk about that too. It's a little obscure, both in its location and in its style and in its lyrical format. So in that sense, it's a one of a kind thing that Lightfoot did with this. Let's start going through the lyrics now. Is there anyone home in this house made of stone? Anyone inside know my name? I think about the idea that he is alone in this house because by this time he has a big house either in Toronto or on the outskirts of Toronto. And he's probably all alone in this big house because his kids aren't there. By this time he's divorced. Kathy Smith may not be there. Maybe they're on the outs. You really don't know. I've been around for half of a hundred days. I don't know that the number 50 is particularly significant in this. I think he was just being poetic there. Never saw a door shut so tight. Someone online that I've read has said, you're taking the house as a metaphor, like the house is the woman's heart, because it's pretty obvious Mm. he's talking to somebody he's in love with, that she, whomever she is, has shut him out. A heart of stone. So a house made of stone. So it could be an allusion to Kathy Smith or some other woman. Do you have any angle on the first part of that first verse?
1: Yeah, well, there's a couple of thoughts I had about that. One of them was, I know, reading that when he wrote a lot of the Sundown album, he rented this farmhouse to record in. And um, which I, I guess the barn attached to it was where he the album cover came from. And it was a big empty house. And I know that I think Kathy Smith probably was with him at some point. And I also know that one of the nights she went into town it was when he wrote Sundown itself. Right. So I, I had to kind of wonder, he didn't mention that the farmhouse was maybe made of stone. I thought maybe he got the inspiration from the house he was writing, and it could have been, or maybe there was a house nearby. I'm guessing that it might have been out in the country somewhere where he was writing. So that could have been the inspiration for the house made of stone, if, if he was talking about a literal house that may have inspired him, or maybe could have been in the Rosedale area where he lived there in, in that mansion. Maybe one of the houses along there could have been inspiration while he was driving through his neighborhood or stuff like that. The fact that he says, I've been around for half a hundred days, I kind of picture the song as he is. He's maybe somebody who's wandering, just, just to take a hike somewhere in the woods. And since he used to do canoe, canoe trips out in the Canadian wilderness, that could have been an inspiration too. But I thought he could be this guy who likes to take a hike and he comes upon this house, stone house, out in the middle of nowhere. And curiosity gets the best of him. And Or it could be the fact maybe he's somebody who went too far into his walk and his hike. and He has no idea where he is and he sees the house and maybe he's thinking, oh, somebody's here. Maybe they can help me get my bearings back to where I need to go, or maybe they can give some shelter or provision for the night or something. You know, that's the kind of thoughts. The whole aspect of this house, is there anyone home in this house made of stone? And this I always picture it in my brain, because Lightwood is such a great artist at coming up with storytelling imagery. I mean, this, he's, he's a master at this kind of thing. And I just get this image of him opening this door that's unlocked, at least the front door, and it's just dark, it's a darkened house. And he's calling out for somebody that might be able to help him or... The fact that what always did trip me about that part was, does anyone inside know my name? So it could also be, again, a a metaphorical house of a lost relationship. Maybe he's calling back to the person that he once knew and maybe see see if they still remember him. So it's definitely one of those songs where it can have multiple interpretations.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things that I think we'll probably never know for certain what he's talking about. And you mentioned the whole idea of wandering, which we're going to come back to in a couple minutes. But the door shut so tight does give this idea that if it's shut tight, that doesn't imply that it's locked, but it does imply that it's difficult to get into. It has a whole other series of possible meanings. We'll be right back to our conversation with Jeff Coast about is there anybody home in just a minute. But first, a word from a podcast partner or two.
1: Hello, my name is Sandro. And my name's Zach. We are historians. Well, movie historians. We're not qualified for anything else. Join us on our podcast, Oldie But A Goodie, where for all of 2022, we're reviewing movies from the year 2001. That's right. Every episode, we look at all the movies that came out that week back in 2001. Then we pick one film and we do a full synopsis review. It's it's Oldie But A Goodie. Sometime, m- most of the time, we find bad movies it's usually a fun time but also usually one of us ends up pulling our hair out by the end of the episode and we have a lot of hair between us (laughs) what a selling point for the trailer (laughs) (laughs) yeah i thought i was pretty excited oldie but a goodie listen now wherever you get your podcasts
0: Uh, that's not Gunner productions
2: podcast
1: Radio is so much different than it was in the 80s. We had it all. The music, the movies, the DJs, and morning shows. Back to the 80s Radio is a show from the 80s in podcast form. We bring the memories from that awesome decade back. Join Toscano and Chang every Friday as they take you on a ride back in time, sharing their experiences and laughs. Stop on by and discover some of the wacky things this crazy duo comes up with. They talk about it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly of the greatest decade. Don't miss the greatest 80s podcast in the world. Back to the 80s radio.
0: Turn around. Don't look down. There's a man behind you with a gun. And I thought to myself when I first heard this, boy, he's really careening off into what may be this kind of political statement. I think about there's a man with a gun over there from the Buffalo Springfield for what it's worth, or some statement about urban violence. And we don't really know who the man is, but one possible interpretation is that there's somebody who is trying to steal this woman's heart, who is going to take her away from Lightfoot. And he's going to do it in a very forceful way, meaning with a gun. Maybe the man behind her with a gun is some particular person who just happens to have a lot of weapons. Again, we'll never know. But when I thought about that, I'm just thinking, Gordon, you don't really talk about guns or bullets or things like that very much in your songs. Where did that come from? Any thoughts?
1: Yeah, you know, that is such an interesting point you made there about it is like a sudden left turn because it's a line that you don't expect and it catches your attention. So I'm not sure if that's what he was trying to do to keep the listener engaged, because it does sound like he's alone when he had comes upon this house, if, if you're going to go with the literal sense. But then he goes, turn around, don't look down. There's a man behind you with a gun. So is there suddenly two people in the room or is he talking to himself? I always used to think of it and I still think of this now as like. I took it like literally, like he was in the house and there's somebody who thinks he's an intruder, and just, and you can see the reflection behind him that there's somebody behind him with a little gun. But I like what you said, though, about the fact that it could be a relationship situation that there's a woman that he has and that there's another man after her, but this woman's affections, and it's going to steal her from him either by force or by some other way. So I, I could agree with that as well.
0: Yeah. We're going to come back to the idea of there's an intruder in a second or two. Then he talks about, Like any wandering child in the wilderness, wild and uncaged are your ways. And I'm probably getting too far into literary criticism at this point, but uncaged, I can understand. I mean, if you're a kid and you're wandering in the wilderness, obviously you've been let out of some sort of barrier or some house or some protective area or some cage. But a child who's wandering in the wilderness would probably be terrified if they're out in the wilderness all by themselves, they're lost, they don't know what they're doing, they're probably going to be screaming for help. Now, that would ruin the image that he's here because he's already used three or four really cool images. But I wondered, is that just stream of consciousness or is there some sort of significance to that?
1: I, it could be just a stream of consciousness. The fact that, yeah, wandering child in the wilderness, that's an interesting line. I'm guessing maybe it was somebody who maybe had a sense of innocence and maybe not necessarily a child in, in that sense. Maybe somebody had a childlike thinking or a innocence about them or in fact, they're in this place. in wild and uncaged are your ways, so I mean, it's like someone who might have been held down a bit. Now they're free to do whatever they want without any kind of supervision or something like that. That's kind of one way I've interpreted. But yeah, that line did always stop me. And then we come to, I think I heard
0: someone stirred. So now he's back in the house. He's not contemplating someone or something else. Someone stirred. There is someone here, maybe either the object of his desire or someone who's come and say, you know, what are you doing in my house? Get out of here. But there's something going on in this house. And that's why I thought it stream of consciousness, because here is, you know, you're talking about someone who's wild and uncaged. What was that? I heard something creak you know, in the back of the house. Then I think the most Beautiful part of the lyrics. There's a light around you. I've come to switch it on. It will brighten every room. Again, it's the metaphor of the house. Because what happens when you turn a light on? It means you can see things. It means that things have clarity. It means that there's warmth implied. Darkness implies some kind of cold in most circumstances. But if there's light, there's usually going to be some sort of heat. And Lightfoot maybe is going to warm her heart or bring some sort of knowledge or some sort of love to her in a way that you hadn't seen before. Tell me your thoughts.
1: Yeah, you know, I had a similar thought to you about turning the light on that it would brighten every room. I just kind of thought getting back to the focus on like I can either it's him or now that there's two people because I know we mentioned that too. So I thought that like, okay, you're in a dark room in this house. You're clearly uncomfortable because this ominous feeling you seem to get from some of the bur- the vocals and, he's, and what he's saying about the house itself. So naturally when you're in a place that's kind of ominous, kind of freaking you out a little bit, you always want to reach for the nearest light switch because, hey, if I turn this on, I'm going to feel better about things. And he kind of does allude to that in this next line coming up. So that, that's the same thing I had that perhaps that he's also talking about this woman that he's with. There may, there may be some darkened rooms of her past that she's kind of alluding to, to him but not exactly giving the full detail. So he's saying, well, okay, allow me to turn the light on this. Let's let's shine a light on it. Let's let it out. Let's talk about it. Let's if it'll it'll make you feel better. I think it will. So let's let's talk about it. And that could be might be what he's alluding to there.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that plays into the next thing I was going to talk about, the idea that they're going to have some sort of dialogue. I've grown weary and wise, and I feel much amazed. Got a few good tales to unwind. He wants to talk to somebody. He wants to tell somebody about his experiences, his recent experiences, maybe on this canoe trip or this trip out in the wilderness, or here's what I've learned about love, or here's what I've figured out about you, young lady, something like that. What he's learned in the last half a hundred days might be the thing that he wants to relate to this person.
1: Yeah. The fact that this woman could also be somebody that he's known for a while or somebody that maybe he's even known for 50 days. And there's, there's a lot of mystery to her. And again, this really, this song could actually somewhat be connected to Kathy Smith because they were still together at this time. So maybe there are some things about her that he didn't know, but he thought, well, if I get to know these things and get them out there, the fact that he, the fact that he says, I've grown weary and wise and I feel much amazed. So it's like, OK, I'm a little weary from this dialogue, but I've grown wiser about you. And I'm I'm also a bit amazed because there's some surprises about you I didn't know. Yeah. And. We don't
0: know where Kathy Smith was. I mean, I think about the half a hundred days, maybe she had been off doing something with some other musician or some other man or both Mm -hmm. for 50 days. And that's how he's feeling pent up for that. Like any wandering minstrel, I've dawned in the house of a thousand delights. And I thought this is. Contradictory and also mysterious. Contradictory because, okay, if you're a wandering minstrel, you're not going to go back to the same place night after night. You'd travel and then you pretty much sleep wherever you could. If there's some place that'll give you food and shelter for the night, that's great. Otherwise, you just forage, sleep out in the, the rain or whatever. We'll be right back to our conversation with Jeff Coast about Is There Anybody Home in just a minute? But first, a word
1: from a podcast partner or two. As kids, we were a blank sheet of paper with no life experience. And now we are paper balls full of perfect imperfections. Join me on the Grown Up Podcast as I explore these imperfections with you and occasional guests to give a different perspective on life that will make you think just a little deeper. Along the way, we celebrate independence by catching the waves of independent musicians with the Now segment, better known as Naturally on a Wave. If you're ready to smooth your imperfections so you can show up for yourself, then search Grown Up. Look for the Perfectly. Imperfect paper ball and press play. Tune into the grown up podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and more. Oh, yeah, remember to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode.
2: Have you ever taken a great high school history class? If you have, then you'd probably agree that the one thing that made it so enjoyable was your teacher, and understandably so. At their best, history teachers are vibrant storytellers, leading you on a gripping, fun, fantastic learning journey. But sadly, we know it can be pretty difficult to continue that journey after graduation, with no one there to be your entertaining tour guide through the world of dense, obscure, historical research. Fortunately, 20-Minute History is here to help with that. It's the new podcast that aims to be your very own high school history teacher for everything you didn't learn in high school. Come join us as we explore commonly unknown histories and our informative, engaging, and amusing 20-minute episodes. It's 20-Minute History, out now on all your podcasting platforms.
0: And then the house of a thousand delights, he's alluded to... Places where sexual misconduct is taking place in other songs. Of course, I mean a Fair on Fifth Avenue, Sundown, the room that where you do what you don't confess, Summer Side of Life, a house where love has been misplaced. Do you think he's talking about a brothel here, or is there some other meaning to the House of a Thousand Delights?
1: You know, I I think you're right about that. In fact, when I heard the, the House of a Thousand Delights, I had this thought about the Old Animals song, House of the Rising Sun from 1964 and I hadn't thought about that initially but when I started to like really get into the lyrical content of this thing and listen, I thought it's almost like he's referring to the House of the Rising Sun and I think right on it was, it was something something up to similar effect and I think that that's what he's alluding to that there's definitely a sense of mistrust in the relationships and the fact that and again, like he said in Summer, so I have life misplaced and I think that he's calling back to a similar theme here so I definitely agree it's something like that.
0: Yeah, it's certainly a place where you mentioned House of the Rising Sun, which I've always wondered, is that about a casino or is it about a brothel or is it about both? And there's an etymology to that song. Maybe one of our listeners can clarify that when this goes out in a few days. Let's talk a little bit, backing away, looking at the song more as a whole. It did appear on Sundown, which was his 10th original album. It was the fifth track on the record, which means that it was the last song on side A. So. It's about as close to the middle of the thing as you can get and not be a separate record. It was not released as a single. I liked the samba aspect of it. I agree with you, but I don't think it was single material. It was very much an album cut. The album, as we know, we've talked about this in other shows, it went to number 13 in Australia, number one in Canada, number one in the US, and 45 in the UK. And this was what many people would consider the zenith of Lightfoot's sales career, you know, or his, you know, monetary success. What to you is your favorite musical aspect? Or did you think that the Samba beat was the the one that really turned you on the most?
1: There's a couple. I love that Moog synthesizer. He doesn't use one very often. And man, is it tastefully done. I also love that Jim Gordon's, there's drums only It it's very light. And I think if, forgive me if I'm wrong, it's, I think it's Milt Holland doing the percussion. That's well-placed. And the 12-string, I always love Gordon's 12-string. And my 12-string playing is a lot patterned after his. And when it comes to that samba part, it's just fun to play on the 12-string going back between that E minor uh, 9 and the uh, A major 7 going back and forth. It's a nice feel. But I feel the music has a mysterious feel to it. And the strings, too. Nick DiCaro, the whole aspect musically just comes together beautifully. And the fact that Lightfoot does his own arrangements, I mean, he's a musical genius. It all plays to like this very mysterious, not as eerie as the Edmund Fitzgerald was, but it has an ominous, mysterious feel to it. But especially as the song goes to fade out, the strings kind of doing a nice little fill. I like everything about this song and his vocals on it. I mean, he has a lot of great vocal performances, but there's like a really nice, strong vocal performance on every aspect. It's very good. I like everything about it musically.
0: I don't know that there's anything to dislike about it. I think the thing that I loved is that it's got a little bit of an urban beat to it. I mean, the chord progressions and the instrumentation, as you said, his style is much more folk, wandering, minstrel tradition, or troubadour tradition. But this feels a little bit like a Motown song. I don't know how to describe it, but it does have kind of an urban taste to it. And then the jazzy chords, he uses major seventh chord's Frequently in his songs, but in this one, I thought they were really tastefully done. They're not things that you would expect on the rest of this album because the album is pretty much straightforward folk rock, not the kind of jazzy influences you've gotten on this one. You were right about the people that played on this. Okay. Gordon, Red, Terry. It was John Stockfish who played bass on this. Nick DeCaro did the orchestration. He supposedly played piano. I can't hear any piano in this, but it may be there. Gene Martinek did the Moog synthesizer, which is another thing that if it's done right, and I think it was done better in the 70s than it was at any other time, um, Mm, it worked really nicely. Jim Gordon did play drums, and then Milt Holland, whom I'd known as an arranger more than an actual performer, played percussion, and there might have, he played congas on the record. I don't know if he played congas on this particular song. But the other thing that I noticed about this is that apparently Lightfoot has never played this song in concert. And I can understand why. It's a very complex song musically. His 12-string is wonderful, but I don't know if you could carry the whole song off with just a single 12-string guitar. And if you're not going to have the rest of the elements, I don't know if you'd be able to carry off the song. It's not a very linear song where it has a beginning, middle and end the way that many of his songs, not all, but many of his songs do. So it might not have been one that the audience would have responded to very well. What do you think? Am I wrong in thinking that those are the reasons he hasn't played it at all in concert so far?
1: No, I think you're on because I had the same thoughts because I had thought that perhaps he may have performed at some point. And I know that there's a couple of the Massey Hall shows from 1974 that are bootlegged out there and I caught the set list thinking maybe he did it once and then it never appeared and I had to think to myself that okay if he didn't do it I think it had a lot to do with with the production especially with that lineup at the time I I think Terry and Rick and I think just Gordon at that time so with the three of them you might be able to pull off but with all the elements that it needs he probably would have said better off leave it off his set list and probably you're right the fact the song doesn't have a Connected way of certain, as some of his other songs did. So he probably thought he was best left to leave out his shows.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine if he were to try it with a reasonable ensemble, the four piece band that he's known for touring with or performing with, they might have done a passable job. I can't imagine anybody walking out of the show, you know, Mm -mm. saying, no, I hate this. You know, this is not what I came here for. But on the other hand, I think a lot of people would have said, huh why did he pull this one out of the bottom of the barrel there are no official covers of it either at least not that i can find is there anybody that you think you know wow maybe they might be able to take a good shot at this
1: i mean besides you and me jeff you have any thoughts on that i have a couple i had three i really thought about this too i can only think of one current artist there's a couple of lightwoods contemporaries i definitely have thoughts on john mayer believe it or not and the only reason why i say john mayer is because he had a song on his battle studies album called Assassin, where he told a story that took place at night, and he also did a story song called Walt Grace's submarine test. So he's dabbled in the storytelling, and I thought John Mayer could probably do it in the style of his song Assassin, minus the guitar solo. where he could probably come up with a good one, but I thought as a Marvel artist, he, he, he could probably be good at tackling it. However, another another two artists I think could do it. James Taylor could do something like this. I feel like he could do a nice version of it. And the late Jim Croce, who was also a Lightfoot fan, I thought he might have the good ability to take a look at and do it justice.
0: Interesting ideas. I think for me, I thought about both women and men doing this. And because obviously it's written from a male perspective, but Mm -hmm. I think a woman could do an okay job on this. Helen Reddy was one that I thought of. The late Karen Carpenter, um, I I kind of heard that the Carpenters might be able to pull this off. I think Adele might be able to do this if she had the right backing and somebody who would be willing to produce something like that because I think she'd have a good take on it. As far as guys, I would love to have heard Dave Mason do it or Joe Harris from the Undisputed Truth which was a Motown group that you know was popular in the early 70s or some other small tight Motown unit. So we'll see. I would love to hear it done by somebody sometime in the future, you know. besides. Oh, me too. Porn. Yeah, I don't know who it would be, except, of course, you know, the uh, Coast Messner band. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. Before we move on to what you've been up to, any other
1: closing thoughts on this song, Jeff? I actually had one thought about it, is that this song could actually be used in a film, and the film that came to mind was Knives Out, which Sundown was in. And the fact that I just thought this song would be a nice fit, because it it has the ominous feel, the man behind you with the gun. I thought it could fit in there somewhere. I don't know where, but I thought this song could be good used in a movie like that just, just to maybe even set a scene. But yeah, that was another thought that occurred to me. It could be good for a film in the right setting and placed appropriately.
0: Ah, okay. Any Hollywood producers that are listening today, you might want to give that a thought and then we'll just take a 10% finder's fee for you. Um, so, Jeff, what have you been up to personally with your music since the last time we talked?
1: Well, uh, I've been doing a lot of covers. My channel has actually grown quite a bit. I'm very blessed that it has. I've developed a bit of a Fellow Lifewood fan following. I've been getting a lot of uh, doing his songs. I've done some requests for some people. So I'm very happy to do that. It's it's nice to chat with Fellow Lifewood fans on YouTube. So the channel is growing. A lot of good things are happening with that. Just gonna keep pressing forward so yeah any of the Lightfoot fans out there always ask me to do covers I'm always more than happy to I've been focusing on a lot of just deep tracks and uh, it seems to do really well I'm also with a friend of mine we doing a project in January it'll be a I don't know if it'll be a podcast or anything but we're going to develop something musically just dis- in musical discussion about bands and albums and stuff so we're hopefully planning to get it off the ground in January here so that's exciting
0: that's fantastic so where can people find you? I know that we mentioned this in the last time you were on the show, but where can people find you online? You mentioned your YouTube website, anything else that they need to know?
1: Just the YouTube right now. I was doing Instagram quite a bit. I've kind of been on a little bit of a break from it for a little bit. I do do Facebook Reels. It's under my real name, which is uh, Jeffrey R. Toast. Uh, that's my Facebook name, but uh, I do Reels. your alias.
0: is the same as your real name then, right?
1: Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um I do reels on my Facebook and I have little snippets of my covers and all that. So you can find some reels there if you want to look at that. Hopefully when we get this project off the ground in January, we'll come up with a website too. When we get close to that, we'll figure it out. But yeah, but YouTube's the main place right now.
0: I'd like to make a special request for you to visit my Patreon page. I love this show so much and I want to keep it going. And you're in a position to help. Please head over to www.patreon.com slash Revisited. A dollar or two a month is all I ask. You can reach me, Mike Messner, at teachermike72 at gmail.com. Well, Jeff, it is always good to be talking to someone who not only appreciates the music, but who also plays it. And so thank you for taking the time on a Thanksgiving weekend to sit down and talk with me about Lightfoot's music. Always great. And I'm looking forward to having you on the show again.
1: Thank you, Mike, for having me. Um wonderful i'm I'm looking forward to coming back on real soon so thank you and thanks for listening
0: everybody if you like this well enough to listen to the whole thing tell somebody about it carefree highway revisited is on apple spotify acast or wherever you get your listening matter our website is www.lightfootpodcast.com Well, our next episode will feature my guest, Kevin McClear. He'll be making his second appearance on the podcast. He'll be talking about Gordon's song, The Ballad of Yarmouth Castle from the Don Quixote album in the first week of December. Until again, this is Mike Messner reminding you, run for the roses, but don't forget to stop and smell them. We'll see you next time.